Hey folks, and welcome to the Daily Ratings Podcast. It's a show where each week we'll sit down with Vincent Daly to get his thoughts on the latest movies he's been watching, both older films and new releases. And don't worry, there's no spoilers. Vince will give a brief review of the movie, share some thoughts, and of course, then rate the film. The Daily Ratings are always fair, honest, and most importantly, they're consistent. On today's show, Vince will be rating and reviewing... American Graffiti, directed by George Lucas, The Warriors by Walter Hill, Lamb by Valdemar Johansson, and newly released Uma by Iris K. Shim, and Turning Red, directed by Domi Shi. So stay tuned and enjoy the show. Mr. Vincent Daly, how we doing, buddy? Tommy boy, how's it going? Uh, it's going all right. It's going all right. How was your uh, week of movies, man? A uh, week was good. Uh, I watched a, a wide variety of films. Uh, I was happy to dive into a lot of these. Uh, American Graffiti, of course, is the only second entry, but the end of the George Lucas project to see some of what uh, his earlier films was. Uh, even some classics uh, like uh, The Warriors uh, kind of came out of the blue, but very happy to watch them. Yeah, I love that we have two uh, 70s movies here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, all right, well, let's start there. We're going to go back to 1973. This is American Graffiti by George Lucas. And uh, how did it fare, Vin? So, yeah, uh, so like we covered a couple weeks back, I actually don't know how many weeks back we covered THX uh, 1138, but uh, that was Lucas's... About a month ago or something like that, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that was Lucas's first film. Uh, this is a follow-up to that film with... A total shift in genre. What is what is odd about it is it is his last film before he directs anything other than Star Wars. Yeah, pretty you much, know yeah, I mean? yeah. He's, he's Team Star Wars forever more. It's interesting because this was an easy film study for me. Not only that, I mean, I am a huge Star Wars fan uh, and nerd to try to spot trends and uh, directing habits and, mm-hmm. and, yep. and and writing habits in in the screenplays of these films it was very interesting because it was it was easy to do uh, you know we're really just looking at two movies uh, before the huge amount uh, of, of sci-fi and uh, with George Lucas being such a iconic director a fan or not of yeah, him yeah. there is there is a lot to, to, to potentially spot this is uh, money backed by Francis Ford Coppola himself mm. uh, and a handful of Oscar nominations uh, American Graffiti is a story about a small town blues in the early 60s. Uh, The whole film is over the course of a single night. It's focusing around a group of three to four friends. Uh, Some are going to college the next day. The others are staying in the town. And we kind of follow them throughout the, the course of the night in developing on those feelings of small town blues and maybe expectations and overall kind of a very coming of age story. Uh, straight up though, Tom, 
with this being a coming of age f- comedy, uh, it kind of feels like super bad, uh, or rather, super bad really? feels like it. Uh, especially with how we have a group of friends going in all different directions over the course of one night. Uh, it really surprised sure. me. I mean, I, I hate to give maybe some something so simple as a comparison of that, but uh, no joke. It had the same uh, vibes. It, it, absolutely, especially with how the friends split off and get into shenanigans and they cross paths and they're like, oh my god, you're here. You okay, so, that's pretty cool. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's very interesting how it is layered like that and uh it, honestly i could not shake that feeling throughout the whole thing es- especially you know uh, when it comes to that structure of a party night you know one night to remember uh, i feel like that plays into a lot of coming of age stories mm-hmm, mm-hmm. uh and uh I, you know the 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 town that they're in as far as them being around this one night and and just different parts of the town uh, it's interesting. It, it feels very 50s it, it, or definitely a 50s love letter. Uh, I think this movie is decent. Um, it's, like I said, a, a very serious love letter to the 50s. This is both in the chromed out hot rod feel uh, of its subject matter, uh, but also in the theme of, of glory days gone by. Um, this is being set in the early 60s, so the film itself has a look back very fondly on the last decade with nostalgia and a touch of sadness. Our characters are constantly bringing up, oh, uh, this, this, this guy was a legendary racer uh, back in the day. Mm. Can you believe this gang is still around in the town? You know, they used to be, you know, they represented something so much more. Uh, this film, both in its world itself and the kind of the point of the story is to look back on these golden days, these glory days of the 50s, and definitely tying into the the feelings of maybe melancholy uh, with our main characters. They understand inherently that those days have come and gone, and this being made in 1973 as well, the film kind of serves a, a nostalgic, love-filled look at what has passed, what has been, you know, mm-hmm. passed along uh, over, the, over, the, over the decades gone. Unfortunately, um, I don't know. Uh, this, this doesn't translate too great to the story because a lot is introduced as far as... This, this sadness that comes with it. The town is a high school kid paradise. You know, <laughs> these kids uh, run the town during night, whether it's the gas stations, whether they're drag racing in the street, whether they're just driving around to the burger shop or the malt shop and uh, or arca- arcade. It's, it's kind of, it made me question because the film definitely goes into the next morning, like 5 a.m., how the hell are these businesses open? Was that a thing that <laughs> happened in the 50s? That, like, you know, the kids are out, we got to keep the doors open. I don't know. It, was, <laughs> it made me scratch my head a little bit. But the plot of this, uh, this, this party night is the stakes are inconsequential. Uh, this sadness that is brought up, especially around the racing subplot. One of our characters is the current hotshot, hot rod, you know, modded vehicle racer of the town. Mm-hmm. And a, a plot thread is his feeling of he's a dinosaur. He's the last of his kind. That is is explained because of 
the very real fact that the mortality rate of these hot rod racers, oh. I mean, they were all dying out for a reason. You know, right, they're right. not around. You know, they're all kids to begin with. Where are these kids now? And that's where the sadness comes into play. I think why it's inconsequential is that the whole movie kind of comes off as meh because a lot of this is introduced almost to the point that there is a through line at the very end credits that that kind of ties this back to what the film was trying to say but nothing is done with our characters on screen to drive this home they mention it nothing is done in the actual plot events to tie it together of this sadness this nostalgia does that make sense yeah and basically how you started it too where it was just like it it seemed inconsequential it didn't seem like mm-hmm. th- th- you didn't get the stakes all that much mm-hmm. how was the depth of the characters i mean lacking it, 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 in for that, that reason? it's a comedy, you know. What I mean, a right, lot right, of the right. a lot of the focus for these characters is is left on, you know, putting them in funny situations. I think it's really a comedy first for that reason. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, uh, and there's nothing wrong with that. But I, I think, especially when looking at this, looking at who's in the producer of this, looking at that this is George Lucas's. Oscar recognition. I think mm-hmm. it's five nominations for American Graffiti, and, uh, five or six. And it's just the fact of, I mean, everyone's heard of it. Um, yeah, it's nominated for five Oscars. Yeah. And, and it's just the fact that it's a movie that everyone knows and at least he yeah. has heard of, if not if not seen it. Exactly. And uh, we're thinking, you know, certainly you look at the other ratings for this and mm-hmm. it's just, it's not matching up for you. Mm-hmm. And especially because we're watching the here and now. Maybe yeah. that has something yeah. to do with it or how the movie aged. But at the same mm-hmm. time... It is kind of like an ageless story. Kids yeah. are growing up, coming of age film. Absolutely. For one wild night, kind of. I don't know. It's just, it's it's not like... And this certainly, it probably hit really well for audience members at that time because this was something that they can look on, look back on and, and maybe share a, a thought of like, oh yeah, we had, you know, the, I had a friend back then that died in a car crash or something like that. You know what I mean? You know, the mortality of this small town blues Unfortunately, very little is done with it in the follow-through. It's referenced, which is maybe some surface-level interest and some, surpa- some some depth that is actually given to this this 50s, early 60s uh, affair. But just, yeah, it, it, unfortunately, it just comes off meh in, in, in the end product, and I wasn't... I wasn't too thrilled with it. So how is it as a comedy? Uh, comedy worked pretty well. Uh, it, it's very dialogue-driven. Uh, we have Ron Howard uh, yeah. right off the Andy Griffith show. It's it, Very interesting casting choices. Uh, is it Richard Dreyfus? I believe? Yeah, Dreyfuss, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. who I know from Jaws, was primarily a TV actor as well. So there, there's some creative use in the casting as well. If, if this film is supposed to represent kind of a an evolution, a next step, a break of the mold of what we associate with uh, 50s nostalgia, then guess what? Uh, Casting actors that any audience member would know from very iconic 50s TV is a pretty interesting choice strategically for the film. Uh, As well, uh, comedy-wise, I think it works pretty well, especially Richard Dreyfuss. He gets involved with the Pharaohs, one of the last remaining gangs within the town uh, that almost take themselves comedically way too seriously. (laughs) And and, and it goes from kind of a, a high tense scenario to him realizing how silly this this relic of a gang uh, existing in in 
in almost his adulthood or coming adulthood is. And he's almost just along for the ride to entertain them uh, structurally as well. Not to, again, not to over compare to Sim, uh, super bad, but this was L- McLovin with the, with the cops basically. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, and, and again, I apologize folks if that's a, maybe a little bit too simple of a comparison, I but I could not shake it for the whole film. <laughs> <laughs> that's really funny. Yeah. <laughs> and, and obviously the, the proper way to refer to that is super bad is homaging or ripping off, uh, uh, just siphoning a little of yeah, the, the magic, yeah, yeah. Uh, of, of American Graffiti, not the other way around. So, if any way, if anything, the credit goes to American Graffiti too for, as the pioneer there. Right, right, so, right. Uh, we also have a very early Harrison Ford, yeah, yeah, uh, which was great to see. It was great to see him what, give this... a damn about acting. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we have what four years before New Hope came out, correct? Uh, yes, seventy three. Yep. New Hope was seventy seven. Absolutely, and and I, I, I mean, I guess I just never fact checked it, but I was always under the impression that Harrison Ford was like some sort of like working professional. I think like a, a carpenter. hair, oh carpenter, yeah, 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 or something like that. And he was like picked off set. Uh, looking back at his filmography, that must have been that story in Hollywood must have been way earlier than New Hope. I thought that was always on the set. Of I New could have Hope. sworn it was New Hope as yeah. well. Well, that's the way the lore goes. But yeah. could it be American Feedy then? Uh, possibly uh, said, connected to Lucas. Yeah, I believe it was Lucas that handpicked him. Yeah, or uh, saw something in him or something. He like definitely that. did have an acting career. I mean, a lot of TV appearances once again. Yeah, uh, how much of that is real then? Just the story yeah. itself. It made because we've all heard it. that exactly. It was almost oh, like was a a unquestionable lore. Right, he was part of the set design guy. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, odd, but really good inclusion. Uh, he actually plays uh, the the foil or the antagonist to our main racer, and yeah, young. Uh, I mean, this movie is approaching fifty years old next year. Yeah, wow. you know what I mean. That's nuts. Yeah, that's nuts. To talk about seventies movies uh, being fifty years old. It's not yeah. The, yeah, it's not the bad. It's very weird. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, uh, really enjoyed his inclusion. Uh, I would say a uh, a pretty big criticism for me is the soundtrack. The music here is extremely heavy-handed. Granted, all of it is tied to a single radio broadcast that plays throughout all the cars of the night. Kind of cool. Kinda you know, cool. It, it, yeah, it, it it is cool. It mostly passes the the continuity test that I always talk about, and it's definitely creative in its implementation of of that one radio broadcast, uh, Wolfman. Jack. Jack, uh, who is uh, who is a, a radio DJ personality, I believe at the time that is pulled for this movie is very entertaining, uh, a kind of a larger than life character that, you know, you almost wonder, like, why is he dedicated to this small town radio station? But uh, it, it's interesting how it, it plays into in the audio design as well. Let me. Let me, you know, shine a light on a little bit of a positive here. Uh, there are cool ways that this is implemented. Characters will have a delayed audio, an echoing audio, sometimes a Doppler effect to oh. cars driving by. Okay. Uh, so there is a lot of care into the audio design, but I cannot stress enough, it is overwhelming it is excessive i don't think there is more than a handful of scenes that go by that a iconic 50s rock and roll track is not playing i mean this is like 95 percent soundtrack is on and blasting over our characters it's the blasting over the characters that's where it would get me yeah. on in the background it's just part of it that's almost like real life what it would mm-hmm. be if you're around this many you know if you're mm-hmm. around the cars and everything that much and someone's yeah. radio based the blasting the, the, the mm. in your face is what would get annoying. Yeah, I got annoyed a little bit with it. With I thought uh, once upon a time in Hollywood hmm. uh, was a little bit too much music and a little bit too much in your face. Actually, sure, for, sure. For that reason, but yeah, and 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 I just can't shake the fact that like 
if it's being done to cast a setting uh, and cast that nostalgia, I get it by a few choices. Like, I do not need it to play as much as it is. Yeah. Let's maybe even put that aside. It's just, I mean, it, it, it pushes the boundaries. I mean, this is the most soundtrack I think I've ever seen in a film. I'm really it's not joking. Much. Like, it's 95%. There are very few times that there's no soundtrack playing. And even so, you hear the soundtrack playing through cars passing by, which uh, is cool, it's cool. Admitted, admittedly, but it's just, it, it's so much. It's yeah. just way too much. And like always, folks at home, I stress, you know, I am, there is there is no judgment to the choices of music itself. Uh, it is, it is again, it's how it's done, how it's actually comes off in the film and implementation uh, in the film then, so... To wrap up, of course, I want to uh, talk about Lucas Notes, uh, which has been the whole point of, of watching these films. And, you know, it, it's not that easy with THX. THX was a sci-fi, and sci-fi to sci-fi is pretty easy to spot some trends, so harder to compare. But we definitely do see Lucas's love of race sequences in this, his, his love of capturing speed on film. Uh, I think that is key for the eventual mind-blowing speed that is in the fighter sequences in 1977 uh, that captured and really blew audiences' minds at the time. In addition as well, a theme of small-town blues. You know, Lucas, while maybe limited in his directing, is very seasoned as a writer, and we see this concept of small-town blues be revisited in the heart of Luke Skywalker uh, in the original Star Wars. And even once again in 1999 for Phantom Menace mm-hmm. for Anakin, you know, wanting to wanting to leave Tatooine and whatnot. This small this concept of small town blues is definitely in the DNA of the type of stories that Lucas writes. Uh, these characters have something to run away from and Lucas is meeting that in in his later films with adventure specifically for american graffiti the whole point of the film is the pressure that there may be an adventure just around the corner you just have to make the cool. jump cool cool yeah you have to make the jump away uh from you know these this 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 small town life that may be comfortable that may be even a paradise for kids but there's something more there's something greater to what you leave behind uh overall i didn't think this movie was bad uh there is a lot of care put into the message messaging uh, of what the style means, but it is pretty simple, uh, and it didn't have me too wowed. Uh, I enjoyed it, certainly, but I think we're going to go ahead and give American Graffiti a 53. Ooh, only a 53. Yeah. I, I, there's a lot to like about this film, but I think in the end result, what you come away with is just, uh, okay, you know, they're, they're, I, I, yeah, I, yeah. I really think, uh, especially watching this in modern day, uh, without maybe a deeper connection to the subject matter uh, of what it's trying to get across with these characters, uh, it's it's a little meh, uh, unfortunately. And and fifty three represents meh pretty good, I would say. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but definitely not bad in any regard. Yeah, uh, for sure. I, I can't stress enough that there is there are things to like here. Uh, there are just things that I think have been done better in the meantime, uh, and uh, and 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 definitely. Could be uh, could be improved upon uh, in later entries, especially when they dedicate more to the comedy of it uh, and, and the script writing of of what even the small town blues means. Okay, very cool. All right, so fifty three folks. If anyone wants to check out American Graffiti, and we're going to jump six years in advance here. We're in nineteen seventy nine. 
And this is The Warriors. Yes. Okay. What do we okay. have here? So uh, this was a wild one. Uh, <laughs> this was a, a wild film, Tom. Uh, <laughs> man, uh, I, I want to start this one with a little bit of an explanation of the world that the story exists in. Um, because uh, I would say little is done <laughs> in the film to give this exposition. And, and definitely to its detriment. Uh, it is a, a touch confusing, not that it's the most complex story, but the world itself is is just a little bit odd to, an odd pill to swallow. Uh, the Warriors are a gang, one of the toughest around, but lost among dozens of smaller gangs all fighting for a slice of the street. The film opens up with all these gangs gathering for a sort of unionization meeting hmm. of sorts that is rallied by one of the toughest gangs around. Um, during this unification, uh, the leader is shot and it plunges a massive crowd into absolute chaos. Cops show up and infighting starts and this is what sparks the chaos of what this story is about. During the chaos, uh, a rival gang leader uh, of the rogues, I think it is, casts blame on the warriors as the assassins in this in this meeting of like mm. 900 gang members. It's really a, an awesome scene. Uh, We're in New York here in this movie, yes, right? Yes, yes. Okay. Uh, a, a kind of a bizarro reality New York, <laughs> okay. but definitely trying to be late 70s New York, especially in relation to its gang violence. Okay. You know what I mean? Uh, we go to back to last week with West Side Story where there was, you know, we, we, with, with jazz ballet. There's no jazz ballet right. here. So, <laughs> this, so this, is, this is your gang violence if you want it. Um, but there are fantastical elements. Uh, the, the gangs are themed. Uh, they, they all have their own branding and style to it. it yeah, it's, that's it's, cool. It, yeah, it, it, is, it oozes style. Okay. Uh, very cool. But what's so phonetic, what's so amazing about this opening sequence and why I want to give it... Uh, this this kind of proper do and really summarize it for folks at home is what spawns from this, how this is a springboard for the story of this uh, of this movie. Uh, it basically ensues a wild chase uh, for the gang of the warriors to get the hell out of the Bronx with every gang. I mean, like, we're talking, like, 90 gangs <laughs> <laughs> all having their knives out on it. You know, they are really all looking to collect on a bounty that is eventually put on the warriors. And what ensues is really a, I mean, the film is almost 100% chase sequence. It's very really? interesting. In a good um, way? In a very good way. Oh, wow. Uh, there is almost a quality that reminded me of The Revenant or something like that, that there's, there is always uh. forward motion. They're really never taking a step back, and they're, they're certainly stumbling into hardship and road bumps and, 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 and obstacles for them progressing and to get the hell out of the Bronx. Uh, but huh. it is... It, it, there, there's an excitement to it. It's, uh, there, there, it's a wild chase and almost has a thriller suspense uh, type of vibe to it because there is a hellish feel to the Bronx. Uh, one sequence is they're trying to get out on the subway and guess what the gangs do? They, they throw Molotovs on the subway track. Like, they are not getting out of the Bronx. Uh, so crazy. <laughs> it's, it's really a, an interesting feel to a movie. I, I enjoyed it a, a lot for that reason. 
as far as this kind of like high high octane premise uh, structurally, like I said, the warriors are really in this chase sequence for the entire time. When they are not running like hell, they are living up to their name, and that is with fight sequences mm. uh, and brawl sequences. I my my. Praise is a little half and half here. Uh, the action sequences are wild. They are creative. Um, but there are some rough edits here. There are oh, okay. some edits around, <laughs> you know, I mean, it's a late 70s movie, so you're going to have kind of like a Bruce Lee kung fu, you know? <laughs> of course, of course. <laughs> oh, which I, I find is funny, you know? I mean, every now and again, like, they're, they're battling with, like, chains and whips and, and, and bats, and then someone just throws, like, a roundhouse kick out of nowhere. Right. <laughs> it's, it's very entertaining for that reason. Um, but uh, some of the edits here, I don't want to call amateurish. Uh, our, our director does plenty of other things is it like lacking in fluidity though yeah the, the cuts are a little bit too hard uh and, okay. and and listen one of my favorite films is the original alien uh and there are some hard cuts in there that are you know kind of show its 70s age to it i think the reason why i bring this up as a as a criticism with warriors is because it's an action film first and if mm. you are not clean on your editing and your cuts uh, that's that's a that's big pass or fail from no and yeah I think naturally again just just for viewing pleasure mm-hmm. if it's mm-hmm. choppy like that it's just not as good yeah, yeah. Where, where I think it balances out uh, and if anything pushes it a little bit uh, into just playing the the, the 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 positive side of that these action sequences are very creative they are the sets are taken into account the type of weapons and the type of uh, the type of struggle that gang versus gang violence has in this uh, it really Really makes use of the setting around them, uh, which is which is great to see. Yeah, if we bring it up once uh, once an episode, but John Wick, you know. <laughs> 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 There's a lot there that that is taken into into design, which I, I enjoyed a lot. So, but I I would say I'm in love with this film because it, it is shown right in that initial sequence. Uh, there is a huge juggle to the production. We are talking near like 900 extras That's in that unreal. initial scene. That's unreal. It's great to see on screen, too. Uh, and these are not just, like, extras standing around, especially when the riot starts. They're, They're running involved. in, like, seven different directions. It is truly chaotic on screen. Um, you that's really... crazy. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's awesome. I mean, how did it... Um... What did we watch in the 70s recently? Was it Soylent Green? Yes, yes, and, and similar scale to the extras. Yeah, and you love that. It, yeah. it actually felt big. It felt, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And maybe there is a trend in <laughs> in films of the time that they say, well, we're not going to resort resort to, you know, spotty special effects. We, we got people. We're going to use people, you yeah, know? <laughs> I wonder how much of it was almost like, so when one of the Transformers was filmed close to us. Oh, that's right. And they just grabbed anybody. Mm, mm-hmm. Well, in fact, actually, technically, because there was like blowing up, but they were supposed to be in um, an Asian country. It might have been China. So really? They, well, they were grabbing anyone who was Chinese. <laughs> and it was like yeah. during explosions and stuff. So they yeah. just gave them mass and bag, bags of rice and just like act freaked out. Wow, wow. So they were just pulling people off of the street. I wonder if that's because for 900 people. Of course, the taste of Michael Bay is, is impeccable. Right, of course. <laughs> but I wonder if for 900 people, is that it? It was just, you're in right. New York City and it's just mm-hmm. like calling where it's just like, hey, anyone who's been this day, anybody show up. Absolutely. And, we'll, and it was enough for me to really pay attention to the credits too of saying like, how much? How much are they really putting out there with this? The the key thing is, I be I got to really give a lot of credit to how much and how physically demanding these extra are. When I say chase sequences. 
these dudes are just running and they are just running. running. <laughs> <laughs> like this is not like, oh, they're a little bit slower. So the cameraman, I, the cameraman as well hats off because he is running backwards. Uh, he's in know? a cart, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, true, true. <laughs> uh, but uh, I mean, very physically demanding and uh, a lot is there to appreciate because of just how chaotic of a scene it is. Again, in that initial sequence, not only do we get an introduction to our gangs, uh, but the scale of what they're up against. It, let's say we only saw maybe a handful of the top gangs. Um, it, wouldn't, it wouldn't feel... It wouldn't feel like the Bronx is a living hell. It would not feel... Uh, the yeah. stakes would not be there for them to escape because we as the audience know potentially they're going to be up against every single gang member that we saw in this opening sequence. Right, you right, know? yeah. It def- uh, yeah, it, that's a good point, actually. Yeah. Because if there was just a few people, and really, and it's, it's going to come across like it was done in studio, practically, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah, you don't feel that. You don't feel that bigness or that vastness of the Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and, and with us seeing just, like, how many, you know, individual gang members could be potentially after them, and how many truly really show up a who's who of what's introduced, <laughs> you're like, oh, I remember seeing them you know uh it's very interesting uh uh, let's talk about the gangs themselves because this is the most defining uh, feature of the film i'm not gonna lie i think this is where this movie is going to live or die for a lot of people Ah. the gang design is all over the map some gangs are cool as ice Uh, our main our main gang that's leading this whole thing is called the riffs uh, and they are like a kung fu black panthers uh very cool (laughs) like like awesome uh design uh others are there for comedic purposes and almost ridiculously comedic there is a gang called the orphans that their defining feature is that they're not good fighters but they <laughs> <laughs> but there's like 30 of them so you know what i mean it's like their their numbers over you know qu- uh, quantity over quality and some of the gangs are even nightmarish in design. <laughs> and but but honestly, where I say this might live and die uh, for folks at home, not in a good way. It just it does not make mm. sense. There is a, I mean, how do I even describe it? There is a like a mime baseball gang. They are not only awesome. not only are they themed around baseball. <laughs> not only are they themed around being silent and mimes. They also have like. Uh, sailor flags. It looks like mariner flags painted That's on so their cool. face. <laughs> it is. It is wild. I think they're called like the Furies or something like that. Very cool. Uh, yeah. Uh, I think the whole thing to me ridiculous and fun and great. Uh, yeah. It's it's very comic book. It's very cartoonish. Uh, I would see as a criticism. Unfortunately, where this film probably would rank a lot higher for me if the realism translated to the very real life violence within New York. Uh, you know, pre-Giuliani in New York, we'd always, you know, people talk about, you know, how shitty New York really was in the late 70s mm-hmm. and how much violence there was. Uh, if that translated into some realism, I think this movie would rank a little bit more higher for me, especially with a modern day watching. It just comes off extremely cartoonish. It feels like Gotham rather than New York. So much That's so funny. that this could very well be like the framework for Joker Two, where Joker was off a taxi driver. Like this is <laughs> this could this could really be uh, <laughs> something that Hollywood could work with. 
But I, I would say it's just it really is going to come down to it either works for you or not. I would say go in maybe a little bit more lighthearted with it, and and it's 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 a it's an action film. You know, what I mean, it's a chase action film. Uh, so maybe you know take it a little bit more lighter hearted, uh, despite obviously being around an allegory for a very real topic of of violence in New York. Uh, quick note: uh, the music is a one hundred percent in the continuity test, and much like our last film, is tied into a radio station that gives us a peek into gang society. I would say very cool secret secret society stuff, and this time works because. The music is only there to mark the chapters of our gang's progression in getting out of hmm. the Bronx. It works so much better because, one, it's not in your face. Two, it's strategic to kind of bookmark the different chapters of where our gang is progressing. And more than more than anything, I mean, could have been heavy-handed. Joe Walsh is on the, the soundtrack. You know, they're still pulling uh, from actual actual content uh, of the time that would be late 70s but it's just not in your face and is used in in the same interesting implementation that it's tied through an actual radio broadcast which i appreciated a lot then yeah i think that's a pretty cool style yeah, uh, very cool. Uh, very, very cool sequences. Uh, we never see actually the uh, the radio DJ or the disc jockey's actual face. She's always at like mouth uh, height, uh, which is just it, it really oozes style, especially her alliance to the riff, uh, the riffs being this kind of Kung Fu Black Panther uh, analogy in the gang. So uh, has a has a lot of style for that reason. Uh, if I could give a direct comparison to how this film feels, though, in kind of a summary, this feels much like the first Mad Max mm. or Boy and His Dog. Uh, it tries to play to a raunchier late 70s crowd. Okay. Uh, I think that's really defining these type of films after 75 that I think, um, you know, the films that are being produced or at least that that, that stand out around that time, um, they're, they're, they're trying to get some shock and awe. Uh, they're trying to really... Uh, have style over substance, and and that's that's where I feel I come with a criticism in this. There is a lot of style, but there's not much room for substance and and a deeper storytelling to it. Even even when it comes to character arcs, and again, it, like I said, if maybe some of that style was toned back, this film could really be a masterpiece because of what it glimpses into the violence of the time mm. and the story it's trying to tell about New York at the time. I don't know. Does that make sense as far as what I'm what I'm saying around uh, Mad Max and and those type of those type yeah, of mid to late seventies movies? I think actually that's a great comparison because they just have that when you watch them, they have a feel, they have a vibe, they have a way about them. It's trying to shock you. Yes, exactly. It's mm-hmm. like there's a reason why we're rated R. You know what I mean? It, mm-hmm. it, it gets you a little bit, and yeah. I think that makes. I can definitely see this movie doing that. Yeah, like, same yeah. thing. Uh, Which I mean, that's what it's going for. Yeah. Yeah, I, I just think I, I think it, it it would be much stronger if it, it tried to maybe balance that out, uh, just because so much time is put into, I don't know, looking at mime baseball player gangs <laughs> on <laughs> screen, and and you know, every gang has a theme and every gang has colors and which is cool. It is cool, you know. There's definitely a a world building that this film does to the to the fictional gangs of New York, but. Uh, it's it's I don't know it's it's half and half for me because I think it could be just so much more if just toned back a, a tiny bit and specifically the weirdness and and the shock awe it's going for uh, I mean I think this f- for this film illustrating how 
much of a nightmare it could be to get out of the Bronx uh, uh, and, and, you know, it really representing more of a thriller action movie than just a straight action movie. I think this is a pretty interesting watch in present day. Uh, it's energy and the premise that it captures. Uh, I think this is why I'm walking away with a very positive recommendation. We're going to go ahead and give The Warriors a 71. All right, 71. Very good. Especially because when a movie's made like that, trying to be that genre, and it's in that Boy and a Dog and that Mad mm-hmm. Max and everything mm-hmm. like that, sometimes there's just a very low budgetness or low budget uh, sure, quality to it sure. as well. But that's good that it holds up this much. And mm-hmm. that for a 79 movie, doing what it is, and it's a 71, that's mm-hmm. awesome. Mm-hmm. Sounds like a good time. It is. <laughs> it like it is a really out. good time. Uh, I didn't want to use the word boys watch <laughs> too much. Right, right. Yeah, that, that may be my, my, my favorite thing, go-to criticism or go-to recommendation. But it really is there in in some capacity. Just a good action film, bottom line. All right, awesome. That's The Warriors at 71%. Uh, We're going to jump a number of years here. We're in 2021. This came out just last year. Definitely a different movie as well. But this is Lamb, which I had never heard of. I never heard of the director either, who is Mm. Voldemort Johansson. What what is Lamb, and how was it? So, uh, Lamb is, is, is an odd one. It, it, it is very difficult to talk about this film with no spoilers. Lamb is an A24 joint uh, with my girl, Numi Rapace. Uh, hopefully, we will be uh, covering in a special to come. And is a challenging film to talk about with no spoilers. I'm going to have to dance around this one pretty significantly. I, I think the best way uh, to navigate this is talk about the genre, which is pretty unique. I would call this film a fantasy drama. Lamb follows a a couple that lives in very rural Iceland uh, on a farm they operate. There is a sadness and a melancholy to their relationship, presumably because of a lost child that happens off screen Mm. and before the story, uh, though it's really never fully explained. And yeah, that that's that's really I I don't want to say Can't go much, much further. Yeah, yeah. I, unfortunately, because I mean, much like a, a a lot of a lot of delicate spoiler talks, uh, much I mean, this film is nowhere on the scale or or the my appreciation of mass, but uh, it's one of those things that can be summarized extremely easily. Mm-hmm. But you know, is is straightforward. Uh, it's it's all about the the little bit that you unpack this, the little bit that there is to this movie. This movie is very slow, very quiet, and very little dialogue. What dialogue is there is in full Icelandic. I mean, it's viewer be warned. Yeah, Yeah. viewer be warned. Yeah, I mean, as far as subtitles go, there's not a lot of subtitles because there's not a lot of talking to begin with, but it it is definitely a very deep Icelandic movie. Um, We follow the daily routine on the farm without any happiness uh, until a mysterious event happens to our couple, and suddenly their lives are brighter and happier, uh, and it does focus on it. This this film is very minimalistic in its storytelling, though. Uh, a lot is left to the, to the keen eye and the viewer paying attention. Actually, much like Power of the Dog, a lot is left to landscape shots to try to be uh, an allegory or a visual storytelling to the mood of our characters and, and that melancholy. Okay, I was going to say, um, just that carry through the melancholy feel. Mm-hmm, exactly. Uh, instead of our characters acting, that it is depicted in the landscape shots and the establishing setting shots. M- music as well? Is it like just sad, constant hmm. music through the background I or no? I notice the music too. Much. Oh, well, okay. Well, yeah. 
Yeah, come to think of it, I didn't even know. You know, sometimes there's just those droning, oftentimes just like yeah. violin type, yeah. slow. This and... film is almost inaccurately described as a horror, and I think that maybe because of the music, it's not a horror. I, I don't. Oh, okay, think. that's I good think, to know. Yeah, like I said, fantasy drama is is as weird as that sounds as right. a, as a combination. It really is what it is. So, but the film eventually does get some energy uh, as. After this fantastical event, you know, there is happiness and romance in the relationship. Uh, and it you see we see this focus less on their daily routine in the farm and just living life. I did like this movie, but this film's minimalism hurts it a tad. Uh, it's almost playing very much into that stereotype that A24, they are just slow, slow movies. And this was definitely a slow, slow movie. So I like slow movies. But it need to be worth it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It need to be worth it, and I, you know, I mean, th- there are aspects worth it here, but I think it uh, it pushed that boundary where I think as of late, A twenty four I think has been making snappier films or more more engaging films. But uh, something to note for folks at home: uh, if this is if you are bored to tears by things, uh, then this is this is not for you. <laughs> so uh, the criticism for me is that the film does little beyond creating the mystery around the couple. I wouldn't call it one note but um there's nothing else this film tries to tackle there's nothing else to the juggling act and that's why it's maybe even so hard to talk about without a single spoiler because there's nothing else to spoil you know once you once you talk about the the subject matter of the film did the simplicity of it and just the story itself did it still have you on like on the edge of your seat a little bit did mm. it still keep you engaged at all or were there times that you were kind of like dipping off and just mm. kind of lo- just kind of losing interest or was it you know again simplicity could be fine yeah i mean the the, the mystery is there you're definitely engaged in the sense of what the hell is going on in this mm-hmm. film uh, but yeah, no, I, I think that's a good way to describe it. You know, I mean, I think boring, as as shallow as a criticism as it may be, I still would think it points into maybe a little bit of a drop ball of create engagement with your audience. Create, oh my, yeah. you know, especially a, if you're going to pick a, 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 I'm assuming a smaller cast. Yes, uh, three people. Okay, so if, it's, if you've got a small cast, simple story, you know, you, you know, you're making a movie. You want to keep your viewers mm-hmm. viewers engaged yeah. through storytelling or cinematography or whatever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, but it seems like it kind of dropped dropped the ball a little bit. Yeah, yeah, uh, or at least plays into that stereotype of a twenty four films. You know <laughs> right, I mean? right, which we're big fans of. Yeah, we are. Yeah. We are. Uh, but but not all the time. You know, right. I think there's there's uh, some hit and miss quality to it. So some positives. I like the dream sequences in this. Very tastefully surreal. Also have heard, like I said, some call this horror. I think that misunderstands the fantasy qualities to this. The many landscape shots that are in this film, there is an interesting feel with Iceland's many hours of daylight, uh, which kind of creates a surrealism in itself. Uh, Just a background note, but definitely catches the eye. And ultimately, though, uh, my critiques, uh, when it goes to the negative sides of this, my critiques of why I feel meh on this story a little bit, I have to push it to the back burner. The mystery that unfolds is the most enjoyable part. Mm. And if, you know, I mean, again, it can be summarized in a sentence, but I can't do it to rob someone of unfolding that mystery for themselves. Um, I think for folks at home that have seen it, and you're maybe wondering what I'm referring to of why this comes out a little bit more lukewarm for me, is that 
my issues lie with a little bit of logic of characters and character actions, especially later on. Um, but I don't want to say much more than beyond that because there is enjoyment in this film, and that enjoyment lies in the in the shock and the mystery of of this fantasy drama. Right, well, right. We're gonna go ahead and give Lamb a sixty on the dot. Okay, yeah. So a little lackluster, but still, you know, an okay film. And I think important for how much I reference A24, definitely an above average A24 as well experience. You know, this is... Really? What would you think would be lower? Oh, I'm going to get flack. Uh, I'm going to get flack from folks at home. Well, how about uh, this? I'll, maybe I'll save you here. A ghost yeah. story. Yeah, oh, sure. And I'll get flack for that, but I already... I, 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 put, I, I stand think, by it. I think a ghost story was higher than 60, though. No, no. Ghost story was like in the 30s. Uh, was yeah, yeah. <laughs> got about that one. Do we want to say? I certainly didn't is? forget about the entire sequence. Someone ate a pie in that movie. Yeah, you were upset. You were upset about the pie, uh, the so, pie sequence. Yeah, and hey, that's a perfect example of maybe wasting the audience's time. You know, what I mean, Cut maybe that's yeah. Slow for slow sake is not a style. Yeah, lamb is an hour and forty six. Definitely could maybe cut cut some time off. Mm-hmm. By the way, it's good to say all the movies today below two hours. Whoa, kind of cool. Especially our next one. Our next one's very, very uh, short. <laughs> which I was happy for. Um, but okay, so A24, it's a 60% for Lamb, which again, I actually didn't hear of. I really heard yeah, of it. Yeah, this actually it was, came like out way in, off my radar. in October when we were doing spooky films. Unfortunately, though, I, I myself was kind of spoiled on some of the premise here, and ah. I wanted to give it time. I wanted oh, that's to, cool. That's cool. I wanted to do, give it its just due. You know. Oh, very good. Okay. All right, so that's Land with a 60%. Those were our three previously released films. We have our um, new releases, our in-theaters now films. But before we do that, I'm going to go ahead and go into our producer segment. Um, zero producers this week. But we're still new, and our site was down for a little while, too. Our donation site was down. And if you're a little confused of what this is, this is when we take time to thank those of you who helped produce this podcast. Vin and I host uh, the show. We take care of things like the site and everything like that, but you all help produce the show. You help produce the website. And how you do that is you can go to the dailyratings.com and you can go to uh, the donations tab and give any type of monetary support that you feel is necessary. It's the value for value model. Um, are you getting value from the podcast and listening to it? Are you going to the site and checking out some movies? Then if you could, uh, what value did you get? Put a number to it and then you could give that to us, a one-time donation, a monthly, a weekly, and we have some fun set donations that you can go ahead and choose as well. Or like I said, it's whatever you you want it to be and we understand that this is just the podcast comes out once a week we're a movie podcast how, how big is it in your life how really important is this to you uh and we get that and if you don't want to donate could you but you enjoy it tell somebody about it tell mm-hmm. a few people you know Absolutely. tell your friends your brother your sisters your cousins about it if you want just pass on the message a little bit it's mm-hmm. so you know we're just starting this and getting our feet wet and any little help helps, basically. Absolutely. If this saved you some time, if this had a utility in your life, then absolutely. Yeah, if it's, if it's not that important to you to donate, or you know, we get it. It's it's hard to donate sometimes, and you just don't have the funds to to give a little extra. Mm-hmm. It would be great if you could just pass our name on a little bit more, or or stop by you know Apple and, and give us five star ratings or something like that. All that little bit helps us start. We again, we're growing. We're trying to uh, really make this into something special. And uh, just take some time, and it, it takes some money as well. So we appreciate all of you who help help produce and are going to produce this podcast and the website. We thank you so much. Again, it's dailyratings.com and the donations tab. Now, with that, Finn, we're going to keep on going. Like I said, this is our new release now, our Now in Theaters. And we're going to go ahead with our, the very short film. It's, and, it's an hour and 23 minutes only. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but this is Uma. It's a horror that we have here. Yes, brand new horror film out. First time director, Iris Shim. She is also backed by Sam Raimi himself uh. as a producer, which was why this landed on my radar. 
Uh, Uma stars Sandra Oh uh, from Grey's Anatomy fame, uh, and also in what we will talk about in just a moment for Turning Red. She plays the mother in Turning Red. Uh-huh. Uh, so a little bit of a of a tie uh, of these two films together. Actually, unintentionally, I found that in in research. Yeah, it's kind of cool when that works out. Yeah, yeah, yeah it, it was. It was. Uh, it was a good. Uh, good coincidence. Uh, it is half supernatural, half psychological, Korean styled horror. That's a mouthful, but uh, Uma <laughs> is around a mother played played by Sandra, haunted equally by past trauma, uh, but also the inevitability that we all face to one day become our parents. Bum, bum, bum. <laughs> it, it, it really does take a interesting theme of uh, familial pressure uh, and complements the very strict discipline found in Korean culture or in, in the specifically the Korean culture of our characters, you know, the pressures of, of what expectations of life, expectations of what her family wants from from her that 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 is tied into a little bit of that psychological aspect uh, of where this horror lies. A highlight for me as well is actually the lack of tech and electricity. Uh, t- this is ah. this is tied into the trauma uh, for Sandra's character, uh, leaving her a little bit mentally strange, uh, which I am always a big fan of in horror films. I do not want a a main character that is you know, flawless or perfectly good. I don't want, you know, them just being fodder for the the horror happening to them. I want them to be the a little bit of the horror itself. Yeah, add to it. Absolutely. The unease, absolutely. And strategically for horror, I was really happy to see this. Uh, A film define itself in this way. Uh, As tension was able to be built up quickly with no phone, uh, full darkness at night, uh, they are literally using lanterns, even though it is in present day. So there's, Interesting. Yeah, there's there's a lot done to explain. Obviously, the scriptwriter, I, I believe, which was Shim as well. Uh, I could be wrong. Yep, that's correct. Yes. So, you know, a lot was done there to maybe uh, translate. You know, this is a certain style uh, and, and certain uh, strategic things in the filmmaking that wanted to be done. And that has actually in-script explanations, which I want to definitely give some brownie points for. I really enjoy how the horror sequences are shot here as well. Uh, A lot of overlap in audio edits key the viewer into these themes of familial pressure. Honestly, the best part praise I can give it, uh, or, or rather give Shim as a director, is the visual storytelling she crafts in the film. Uh, there is a lot of really interesting, really interesting horror of how it's built up, or rather I should say really interesting suspense of how the horror is built up in this film. And I, I think there's, there's, there's a, a lot of style. I, I think I will pay attention to this director. However, I think this is where my praise drops off as... Well, I mean, we we just verified now she she wrote the film, and the script is just not there for me. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. What's uh, what's lacking exactly? Delivery is just not great. Is it the writing or the acting? I think it's the writing. Okay, I think it's the writing. Cassandra brings a lot of emotion to her performance, but uh, the the writing is just there. It's very exposition heavy. Mm. 
there, there's, there's, uh, the delivery maybe isn't the best part, but it's a combo of weak performances. It's, it's just very basic storytelling in the writing itself. Uh, uh, characters speak in big blocks uh, with no, with no volley, with no back and forth. Uh, it doesn't feel dynamic. Yeah, that, that comes out very easily in film, and it's not good. Mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm. And, and and you can definitely tell. I mean, as far as the monologues or the big blocks of text that characters speak in, you know, there's there's care. You know, there's a reason why in, in the script there's importance put into that because they're really trying to deliver why the punch of the whore means something to our characters. You know, what the, right. the, the thematic tie-in. Uh, but it's just it just feels very basic, you know. I, I think it's a it's a unfortunately a mismatch for how good the visual storytelling is in this film. I would say if acting is to blame, Sandra O oh is is I like I said, I, I don't think she's bad. There's emotion in it, but you know, maybe it's a fifty fifty on delivery. Uh and I just feel the the exposition heaviness of it, uh, especially when we finally get into the explanation of what some of the horror elements are, it just feels, unfortunately, it feels amateurish. Uh, I would say it's a shame because for a lot of directors, to make a movie Mm -hmm. is to write the movie. Uh, It was either an interview I saw with Scorsese himself or maybe it was Werner Herzog, but directors know that if they want control over the film, you know, if the film is going to be their baby, they're going to have to write it first and foremost. I yeah. think that's a lesson that Karen Tarantino knows very well. I think it's a lesson that Christopher Nolan knows very well, mm-hmm. that if you're going to make unique things, you need to be in the inception moment uh, of what it is, even though if there is studio meddling in the meantime, right, you know, right, right. Uh, there, there has to be a follow through on it. But I feel some delegation or some pairing with a creative partner would have gone a long way for Shim as a director. And really, and what you're really saying is just to bounce those ideas off of uh, off somebody. Yeah, yeah, bounce it. I'm, I'm, I'm sure, especially with Sam Raimi as a producer, there, there was maybe, you know, there, there was, uh, you know, there was some quality control there. But uh, I'm telling you, Shim has a definitive visual uh, visual style to mm-hmm. what she does. Uh, unfortunately, it is it is not there in the script of it. Okay. Itself. Yeah. And and you know I, I usually don't focus on shoulda coulda wouldas. Uh, I, I don't see much much value in that. But I just think it could have been better. And then definitely for the sophomore attempt of Shim as a director, hopefully there could be some more pairing because again she has a a very she's... definitive style to what she's doing. And good. So. Yeah. Yeah. And good. Absolutely. I like the horror style uh, here. Uh, but again, it's half praise. Uh, I don't think this film is too scary. Uh, <laughs> That's a horror film. I mean, when damn. Yeah. D- damn is right. You kind of had this issue. <laughs> With a bunch of stuff. Yeah, I know. Maybe. Cursed. Cursed was the same thing mm. recently. This. Mm-hmm. Oh, we just had Lamb. Mm. It's, it is billed as a horror as well. No, it's that's such a misguided. Yeah, that's that's a twenty four just leaning into their normal marketing. Right, like right, right. Or does a bunch of does a horror. There are very cool concepts. I am a fan of Asian horror uh, as well of how. Um, you know how foreboding it can be, mm. uh, especially supernaturally. But there's just nothing visceral. There's nothing shocking here. Uh, this is a pretty big knock for me because I would say this horror film has one job, and that is to be scary. Uh, I was certainly happy to see no jump scares in this, but overall, maybe it could have used it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, so I, I was, you know, kind of questioning my usual 
my my usual marks uh, because uh, this doesn't have a single jump scare and i was like oh maybe maybe i was spoiled <laughs> by the jump scare <laughs> you know that's really funny yeah how's the pa- it, again it's an hour and 23 minutes mm. pacing good bad i, I mean, would say the, the pacing is shot on the foot by this these this exposition heavy dialogue you know what i mean when say Sa- I'll, I'll i'll give you an example sandra o is approached by a um, a business partner they run a bee farm mm-hmm. and he gives like an opening line and she talks for like like five minutes straight about her backstory. <laughs> and like this guy, this blue collar guy is just sitting there. And he's just like, it feels like I didn't ask about this. Why are you unloading on me? <laughs> so the pacing, so yes, it's short, but it's also long winded for that reason. Oh, and my I, gosh. Yeah, I can't stress enough. So the movie's still too long. <laughs> <laughs> unfortunately. Oh, very, my gosh. Very unfortunately. Wow. That's yeah. that's that is. That's a shame. Yeah. But uh, overall, weak stakes, weak hook. And unfortunately, as a result, a weak horror uh and i was i i was uh you know there's a lot to a lot of thought put into the theming of the horror a lot of care put into the visual design but it's missing arguably the backbone to that which is going to be the script which is going to be you know what's there specifically where supernatural and psychological meet there is a lot to love there. Uh, I think a lot of care is put into the message of this film uh, and what it means for our characters, but nothing to uh, you know, raise it above a very mundane experience. We're going to go ahead and give Uma a 56. Ah, uh, 56, okay. And that's a shame because it sounds like there totally were nuggets there and um, mm-hmm. it just wasn't executed in other areas, which, hey, 56 is what 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 that is then. Yeah, I think I think uh, maybe this is a little bit more above average. If folks at home, you are a fan of Asian horror or, or kind of a supernatural, a deep supernatural horror, mm-hmm. fall short in a lot of capacities, unfortunately. Okay, 56. Still not below the, not below the 50s, though. It, it yeah. succeeded in, in at least its... It treads in water. some things. Oh, there you go. That's mm-hmm. a good, good mm-hmm. way to put it. Okay, I'm very interested about about this next movie here yes for multiple multiple reasons but this is pixar's big movie they released it out on disney plus but it's also in theaters and this is turning red yes yes and what is how this is, is out in theaters i i thought this was straight to disney plus if i'm correct okay so i thought i i was confused at this so thought i had the answer <laughs> i'm back to being confused about this because <laughs> i was asking myself i was like is this pixar's big release is it is it I, and then i was like it sure seemed like it, it. is definitely mainline pixar but uh i was i was my my first note is that uh straight to disney plus oh how the mighty have fallen <laughs> <laughs> you know i mean for mainline pixar you know I think uh, it's tough jumping into this at this point as, honestly, the graphical graphical fidelity of what's on screen with Pixar is always being outdone. Uh, I think a perfect example of this, you watch the first Toy Story, uh, some sequences are nightmarish and not for their tone. They're nightmarish because of how bad the graphics look on the CGI. On the, turn- on, on the animation, original Toy Story. I mean, it's it's got some rough looks to it, you know? The story, thankfully, is there to raise it above but you know it's it's hard to talk about pixar i feel because they are always as far as an industry of animation with disney behind them disney box behind them uh-huh. um they're really always pushing the boundaries so much so i think uh it, that's where a little bit of jumping into pixar as a topic uh, almost like uh, our batman episode intimidating for me to jump uh, jump uh, knee deep into for the for the podcast folks oscar winning uh domi she uh is now getting mm-hmm. her feature 
feature-length film. Uh, Bao was her great short that kind of uh, rocketed her into uh, stardom or or a lot of critical play praise. Turning Red is about Mei Ling, uh, a 13-year-old girl raised in a very traditionalist Chinese household. Uh, they run a family temple in Toronto. This temple so happens to be holding a curse that runs in the women of the family, turning them into a big red fox under stressful situations. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's an interesting premise. Did you get a fox out of it? But, uh, yeah, it I was like... It was a red panda. Oh, I guess it... Or is it I a red panda? Because it's got a long tail, right? Yeah, I guess, I guess it could be a red panda. Oh, yeah, you know... Why is this throwing us for so many loops? It, <laughs> it was <laughs> digital release. It's digital release, by the digital way. Digital only. Okay, okay, that's what I thought. Uh, you know, it may have had like a, a soft launch. A lot of these, even these digital releases, especially for, I think, like Academy consideration, they still need to be technically in like a limited release of theaters. Yeah, which, oh, yeah I'm sure it's in limited. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, uh, but I think, unfortunately, it was a note for me because it's like, this is mainline Pixar. This is an Oscar winning director that is in their house. Uh, why is this straight to Disney Plus? I don't know. It doesn't make, is it, yeah, it's Pixar's big. Yeah. I think it's Red Panda, by the way. It is Red Panda. Okay. <laughs> so, well, it shows how much we liked it. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, 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 I think I did like this film. I okay. mean, uh, I, I, you know, I, I would say I, I do like Turning Red. Uh, didn't at first. Uh, I'm happy to say this is, you know, its name. Uh, I, you know, I was, I was kind of interested in why it was called Turning Red, uh, and and my mind was racing. I'm happy to say this is. Yeah, neither Chinese propaganda nor Pixar's first film about menstruation. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm really happy. I do not have to talk about that. Uh, <laughs> you know, this movie actually jokes about that a little bit. The menstruation, not the propaganda, yeah. of course. So. <laughs> but jokes aside, um, Turning Red is... In this is embarrassment, it is anger, it is pubescent feelings. Um, I think the writing here has a lot of breathing room. This script, uh, you know, has a gambit of emotions to play with that a 13-year-old girl can go through. Uh, and it's, it's, it's large, it's diverse. Part of that array is her friend group and their ride-or-die attitude. I think this film may not have the biggest stakes or the biggest arc in the world, but it tells a story of how special a group of friends can be. And I can kind of get behind that. I mean, it's definitely not Up or or, or even, even more recently Soul, mm. uh, where there was a grandiose kind of topic that they were trying to tackle through a children's story. This is really much more straightforward, but... I think it, it, it tells an effective story of, of that group of friends and that ride-or-die attitude. And I will take that any day in Pixar's offerings because it's executed upon very well. But it's also not like another entry in Cars or something like that. You right, know what I mean? Right, yeah. It's, it's new. It's fresh. Exactly. Uh, and, and maybe that's a bad example because we, we're ways away from uh, the rehash era of Pixar's where they were just adding to their, you know, their existing series. Right, you right. Know, we, we've we've uh, thankfully climbed out of that. <laughs> because we're going to get this new batch of films, and then it'll be one and yeah, two, yeah, and, yeah. and turning redder, and <laughs> turning blush. You know? she's, she's getting better with it. <laughs> yeah, I, I would say, you know, I, I, I will really take that any day uh, over 
maybe a film even trying to handle something more significant or more of a significant arc for our characters and failing at it because it comes off too preachy or anything like that. This movie is about Mei Ling having a group of friends and among this gambit of emotions, her friends help her navigate that. And, you know, they're... they're they're trying to get to a boy band concert, like that. That's you know, I mean, that's that's the goal of these characters. But it's it's also like, it's I don't think there's a problem in telling a simpler story uh, with this. And and I I certainly was along for the ride because I really do think it is a pretty gorgeous film. 80s nostalgia is done. Uh, we are now officially in 90s and early 2000s nostalgia. Uh, yeah, Mei Ling yeah. and friends are obsessed with boy bands and the edits of the film have very 90s animation. I mean, there are some shots right out of Sailor Moon and, and, and animes of the time. Cuts have a lot of anime influence in general. Uh, but most impressive is the incorporation of 90s themes and motifs into the soundtrack and score. Uh, I was really impressed impressed here we see digital drums or rather we hear digital drums effects uh, and fills swiped right out of the pop music of the time and it is mixed in with this more traditional asian arrangement to the backbone of the score it is awesome i i was a big fan of the score and soundtrack here uh very impressed with the follow-through on design and shout out to the main composer ludwig uh Goranison, I think another Icelandic mm, mm-hmm. name, probably another, another Nordic <laughs> name. They're shooting us in the in the foot this week. <laughs> but yeah, I, I think a, a very solid effort from Pixar's tireless animators. I, I got to be honest, folks. I have a short, I have a soft spot for animation because you know, I mean, you hear nightmare stories uh, of of how demanding these roles mm. in Hollywood are, uh, and to see a film that may be very uh, tied at the leash to its 90s love letter, very tied at the leash to a, a simple plot and may not have the depth that we see that Pixar usually tries to tackle. At the same time, it is vastly above imitators uh, and peers of animated films coming out at the time. We didn't cover it on the podcast, but Ryan the Last Dragon... You can see how even even within Disney Shop, it's trying to do what Pixar does and fails miserably at it. Mm. Uh, it is amazing to see that with Turning Red, or, or I would say more so surprising to see that Turning Red is still has just as much heart and just as much visual entertainment on screen as the deeper stories they tried to tell, but uh, and and still succeeds to a degree at that. I'll be honest, I still prefer soul to this. Uh, I would say even jumping back a little bit to Incredibles 2, uh, I think there is, those films do stand above this, uh, but I would say this is still a very solid watch. We're going to go ahead and give Turning Red a 73. 73, pretty good score. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think that's right there, because what that says to me, just looking at that score, is, yeah, this is a pretty good Pixar movie, but... Mm -hmm. You know, there's some more cream of the crop. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And also, I I feel like this film has been getting a lot of unfair criticism online. I really try to avoid hearing buzz, uh, especially to 
not taint my reviews at all for yeah, folks at home. You know, I mean, we just talked about Lamb, where I, I had it on the back burner because I felt it was tainted. Yeah. But, I mean, the criticism towards this is just ridiculous. Uh, apparently, uh, there, there's one reviewer that says he couldn't relate to the characters at all. Yeah, they're little girls. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? The film could kind of be an allegory for menstruation and, and you know what I mean? Like, coming-of-age stuff. It's like... Well, you know, yeah, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, maybe that's not the right way to see it. And that's where I encourage. This story is about friendship and the group of friends uh, and what that can do for um, coming of age to lean on those people rather than family. All right. That's, yeah, that's, that's, I have a Tommy Two Shoes. Whoa! <laughs> I, that I was, Tommy you did not score. lead, you did not so. lead in at all on this. <laughs> <laughs> He just came out. Here's with the it. thing. So the whole thing with the Tommy Two Shoes is when movies I really care about. Not it doesn't. It's not just every movie I see. I'm gonna go give Tommy Two Shoes. I don't care about my score. You know what I mean? This isn't my. I'm not watching these I mean, movies do, every week. You do care about your score. I wouldn't say right, but I mean, yeah. as far as like any old movie I watch, sure, sure. Like that this one threw me into a Tommy Two Shoes score. Oh, score. He's not. Uh, <laughs> Not this, is so. this was his blind side of me, I'll be honest. Yeah, here we go. Here yeah. comes. <laughs> Maybe I wrote some of those reviews that you were reading online then. <laughs> I did not like I like the animation of this film. Okay. I thought the the red panda was pretty adorable. Oh okay. and overall I thought the animation was good. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I didn't know whether to really like this movie or shun this movie <laughs> from the entire world as much as wow. I possibly could. Overall, here's my take. Okay. I, I'll start with what – I'll go off of kind of ping pong of what you were saying. Sure, yeah. And, and your thoughts on it. I think the friendship plot, I think the whole idea and the through line of the friendship, I think it's there. I think it takes a, a, I think it takes a back seat really to the main thing going on, which is relationship between – Mother and child. Mm, Mother yes. and daughter, I think, is really takes the forefront. Yeah. I didn't know. I <laughs> had to, You're exhausted. I had the I same thing. Well, it's just like, how much, how far do I go into this? Try to make it as quick as possible. <laughs> I, I, again, I was turning red, well, and I'm just like, okay, what? Okay, here come, of course, Pixar, here we go. China's taking. Obviously, I'm just like, what is the propaganda here? <laughs> And there Which is why I made a joke about right, it. Right, mean, obviously. I Thankfully, don't, it's not that, you know. Right, but there, I, I, and yet I still think there might be some. <laughs> the fact that it's in Canada and it's so Canadian, this movie, <laughs> there will never, ever, ever be a Pixar movie, especially, I would say, anytime soon, where you see, where you would see that many American flags and that much country represented in the film. Oh, there are Canadian okay. flags everywhere in this film. Okay. And there's just something weird about it. There's yeah. something weird with the can- it Chinese, doesn't smell right to you. The Chinese and Canadian through lines, it's just, I was like, why is it hitting, why is it so much? Mm. I was shocked. I was like, this would never be happening if it was in this country. Interesting. If they set this story in this country. The menstruation, the um, <laughs> getting your first period, essentially. It's a joke in the film, certainly. You know, it's a joke in the title. Yes and no. That's the thing. It's yeah. like they included in the title. Like, it's just when you watch it, it's just like, what is going on here? They make <laughs> such – and I think about the audience. That's what I was – when I was watching that, I was like, this is messed up. Pixar talking about just like getting your period and menstruation. What is this? This mm. is for, for a very s- small audience. When mm-hmm. we, You know, the best part about Pixar movies is uh, young, uh, very old. This, this the, the movies hit for anyone. 
anyone watching sure. for multiple levels. This is so female and young female coming of age centric mm-hmm. that it's kind of it's a little strange for Pixar to be focusing on it too much. Mm-hmm. It's weird of how much they get in, involved into it, and at the same time, there's so much fear and worry and scaredness. I guess did I say fear already? And yeah. fear going into mm-hmm. when when like we're dealing with like that whole coming of age menstruation, getting your period mm-hmm. thing, where it's like I'm watching this and being like, this movie is prime for uh, I would say six year old girls to fifteen year old girls and everything mm-hmm. like that and i can't help but notice it's like it's really terror it would be really terrifying being a little girl <laughs> knowing that this will be happening to me one day and how horrible it's going to be well it's, don't you think that's that's the lens we should be examining that through through allegory no i through, think it should you know? be more so this happens to everyone well, if you're a girl you're right this happens right. to all girls everything is okay mm. and this is something everyone goes to and you're not alone in any of this right Right. Um, I got the complete opposite. It just seemed like it was giving a really bad, poor message to that. Mm. Same thing with the mother-daughter in a relationship thing. Mm-hmm. I think it really was like normalizing. Like, obviously, you're going to have horrible times with your mother. Mm-hmm. And at times, you're going to hate each other. Mm-hmm. And that's just what happens. I don't think that's cool. I don't think the mm-hmm. normalization of huge strife between, you know, being young, like at a young age, and normalizing that strife between you and the adults and your parents, or even further your aunts and grandparents, uh, again, there was a normalization there, which I didn't love. Mm. I, I really didn't quite like that. Mm-hmm. The dad was an idiot. Oh, the dad. And it was, like, insulting. <laughs> um, <laughs> the dad was, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so overall, that's what I took from it. I found it, I, and I hate to be that. You know, I'm not a, I'm not a right, or anything right. like that. Yeah, I can be yeah. open-minded toward this. Mm-hmm. But it being a Pixar movie, me sitting down watching this, I found the whole thing leaving a really bad taste in my mouth. Interesting. And, and not really being... Uh, appropriate in a, yeah. in a lot of different ways and leaving thoughts or images or ideas mm-hmm. in this young audience because mm-hmm. it is a Pixar movie. Sure. Uh, leaving maybe them with maybe not the best uh, mindset or going forward and thinking about things in, in more negative light than really Pixar, you should be thinking about things more positively at the end of it. Interesting. I, I definitely respect what you're saying there because I, I, I do agree there is more of a dread to these topics within the film than, than an optimism. Yeah, and, and some of it, Exactly. And I think overall, that was my overarching feeling of it. I did like the friend, the, the friendship aspect was great. Yeah. And what it is to have friends and what you're, you should look for in the friends that you surround mm-hmm. yourself Absolutely. with. Absolutely. Definitely good notes. But I do think that that, for me watching it, didn't take, didn't take the forefront. Mm-hmm. I thought that did take the, I thought that was second story to main story being the, uh, more the parental kids growing up with parents. Yeah, and certainly the relate the dynamic with the mother, like you said. Right. You know? Not disagreeing with, with your take at all. It's just mm-hmm. that's how you watched it. Sure, that's how I took sure. it. From. But yeah, I think definitely coming at this more critical, definitely critical and almost looking down on a little bit more sure. probably than you. And maybe Disney saw the same thing. I mean, it, that, that right there, that type of perspective makes sense a lot more with why this would be a digital release versus a theatrical release. Right. Still, that's strange. Yeah. We should almost get into that. Because yeah, my yeah. thing is, it was billed as a big Pixar movie. Yes, yes. It wasn't billed as Mm -hmm. like this is main team, you know, uh, over at Pixar. Right, right, exactly, right. So very strange, but anyway. So that was my take on it. But I think your seventy three is pretty accurate, and I think that's how maybe a lot of people would would feel. And I'm looking at it. Maybe I was just salty right away trying to look at the Chinese propaganda. And I should have just sat down and watched a Pixar movie. I would insert if if only for a children's film. Maybe you know, uh, tone it back a little bit. But at the same time. 
I, I think your viewpoint is valid. You know what I mean? I think uh, your experience with it clearly is resonating with, uh, you know, some population of viewers with this because right. it, the, the, the reception of this has been a little bit all over the map on this film. It has been. Mm-hmm. And, it, and that's that's just how do, how are you going to go into it thinking and, and watching it and, sure. and, and enjoying or not enjoying it? Mm-hmm. Anyway, that's enough of me and my one shoe with, zero, with, oh! with laces untied. One shoe with laces untied. <sighs> No, no, listen, don't take it back. That's what you're feeling, man. <laughs> See, that's what, with you're my like, ratings, consistent, I can't take them back. Consistent, fair, consistent, honest. Hey. <laughs> Tommy two shoes. Tommy t- It's very fluid, these scores. No. <laughs> no, 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 no. But yeah, no, I think I'm going to go, uh, I'm going to go uh, one shoe, laces untied. I'm glad you spoke up, too, because I think, uh, it, the, again, it's, it's real criticism that the film is getting, and to represent both sides of that, I think that's exactly why I want to hear from you. Almost, you know, in the same way that when we talked all the way back at No Time to Die, mm-hmm. you were you were in the the true fan yeah. uh, population of that. You I think know? we were a lot of agreement on. We agreed mostly on that yeah, as well. Absolutely. And this, no, I liked. I kind of. I actually going into it and like, folks at home, I've no. I literally have no idea what Vin's going to rate this before we sit <laughs> and, down and, and we're doing. Folks live, at home, I, I did not know there was a time. <laughs> I mean, if I was a betting this man, son of a bitch over here. <laughs> But it's funny. I thought maybe you were going to give it in the fifties or something like that, and then hearing your take on it, mm-hmm. I totally loved it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and listen, that soundtrack I can't stress enough. It oh, is yeah, yeah. cool as ice. The fact that we have like in sync in sync type type of drum fills in a Chinese orchestration. I mean, I thought it was very yeah, cool. no, absolutely. very cool 100%. follow through on design. So. All right, very good, Vin. Okay, is there anything else you'd like to add, or are we going to roll credits here? No, I think that's it. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to be off the shackles of watching <laughs> Oscar Best Picture nods. I mean, I enjoyed a lot there, but <laughs> I'm really excited to dive in. Also, was able to wrap the Lucas Project. I mean, two films, and we're in and out. Uh, so excited yeah, to, yeah. I mean, that was nice, you know. <laughs> but uh, excited to jump into what I. You know, a little bit normally do with my watches, and I think we may we may touch on some exciting stuff in the coming weeks. So I can't wait. And next week, don't forget, maybe we'll get. Uh, it'd be great. We can we can share really crapping on the Oscars. <laughs> the results, yeah, yeah. yeah. Technically, folks, this is technically recorded before the twenty seventh, so we will have the results to uh, lament over. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But Van, awesome. Thank you for uh, watching those movies for us, doing the homework, and thanks for stopping by, folks at home. We're going to run this down just one more time here. We have American Graffiti with the fifty three percent. The Warriors with the 71, Lamb with the 60, we have Newly Released, Uma with the 56, and Turning Red with the 73. We thank you so much for listening, folks, and we'll see you next week on the Daily Ratings Podcast. If you enjoyed the podcast, if you would give us a good rating or tell a friend about us if you're wondering if a film is worth a watch or if you'd just like to see more movie ratings from vince be sure to stop by the dailyratings.com where we have our ever-expanding catalog of films also if you found value in the podcast or our site become a producer and go to the donations tab on the dailyratings.com you can donate whatever amount of value you feel you received from us you'll get a producer mention on the next podcast episode too We're looking to build this into something large and great, but also be independent from those corporate sponsors. So we greatly appreciate any support from you all. So thanks so much, and we'll see you next time on the Daily Ratings Podcast.